A reading from Proverbs. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the land of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were with, heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything what they had seen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Almighty Father, as we come to your word now, we ask that you give us uh, wisdom. We're going to talk about wisdom, but we ask that you give us the reality. We're always asking for that. Now, we don't want to just talk about things. Uh, we, do. we do. We want to get clear on them. We want to understand them. We want um, the full uh, force of our mind uh, to be brought to bear upon uh, these teachings. Don't let us be gullible. Uh, but with and with that, grant us to truly receive no experience the things we describe. It's like a menu. We don't want to just look at the menu. We want to eat the meal. 
so please feed us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, you may be seated. And uh, it'd be helpful if you turn back to page 8 and 9. Uh, we are continuing uh, our series in the book of Proverbs, which is an Old Testament uh, book. Uh, each week we're reading a portion of it, considering it, uh, and uh, seeking to apply it to our lives. And part of, part of what we're saying is every single week we're looking at Proverbs, we're looking at this uh, reading, and we're asking the question, how can we grow up before we grow old? Uh, it's, it, you know, maturity is not a function of age. You know that, right? Uh, we want to grow up before we grow old. And so how do we do that? Well, Proverbs helps us do that by teaching us about this thing called wisdom. And in Proverbs, wisdom, we've talked about this nearly every week, wisdom is not just advice to follow. Wisdom is not just commands to obey. Uh, it's both of those things, but can't be reduced to either of those things. Uh, wisdom is not just kind of... Um, a religious veneer uh, street smarts and just kind of, you know, being clever. Wisdom, what is wisdom? wisdom, One way to think about wisdom is that wisdom is character that needs to be formed within us in our deepest part of our hearts, deepest part of our lives. Um, And you can see that message, wisdom is about character. You see that all the way through the book of Proverbs, but you can see it in our reading this morning. And our reading this morning, it's a little bit, I don't know if you noticed this, it's a little bit like a collage. There's these little snippets uh, uh, that are a little different from each other. However, and all of them are warnings against bad character. So at the beginning it says, you know, don't get duped into bad debt. If you do, get out of it. Um, uh, Later on it says, don't be lazy. Uh, At the end it says, don't be a dirty trickster. Um, It warns us against bad character. And instead, it says this, be like an ant, be Ant-Man, or woman, whatever. Um, I don't think anybody watched that film, but, um, <laughs> except for me. And, but anyways, um, but, but what, what's it talking about? What's the point? What, why are we doing this? Here, here it is. Uh, wisdom is all about character. And so I want to point out three things. First of all, what is character? Secondly, why is it so important? And thirdly, how do we form one? Okay, first of all, what is character? Okay, if you want to find out uh, what character is, in this passage, you need to pay attention to the wildlife. That's why I said we all need to be uh, Ant-Man or, or woman or whatever, however it works. The wildlife in this passage are the good examples, the humans are the bad examples. So just for our humility. Um, look at verse 5. Uh, save yourself like, here we go, a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler, or go to the ant, O sluggard. Uh, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any, any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Now, look at the ant for a minute. Um, Ants are, are, are interesting. I don't know anything about ants, but they're, they're interesting, right? They're, they're clearly very busy. Um, they're, uh, they're, I understand they are extraordinarily strong. Um, I've, I've seen, actually, um, I think they're called army ants or something like that, it, it, carrying big things that are bigger than they are. 
leaves and such. But they're, they're, they're really, really strong. They're extraordinarily efficient. They're clever. They can, break up in, they can break into just about any house, it seems to me, at least any house I've ever lived in. Um, and um, however, look at verse 7, because there's something very intriguing in verse 7. The ant, says Proverbs, has no commander, has no ruler, uh, has no one forcing the individuals to act. Now, I, I know that there's, like, the colony has a queen, I think, but nonetheless, there's, there's no central command authority. And the point here is that each individual is self-motivated, that one way or the other, there's something inside each individual that drives them uh, towards, uh, that drives and motivates their behavior and helps them act in a particular way. And that's one of the ways to think about character. A good character is an internal preference to do the right thing. It's an internal preference that motivates us to act rightly, um, not because we're forced to do so by some outward authority, not simply because if you don't, then you're going to get whacked or something like that. It, a good character drives us to move because deep within ourselves, we are persuaded and we're convinced that it's good and that it's the best path. It's an inward heart preference. Now, you can see something similar in the gazelle and the bird. Did you catch that? So in this image, they're being hunted. And so they run and they try to escape the hunter. Now, they do that for obvious reasons. It's self-evident that they should flee. But something similar happens as you gain wisdom as, and as you form a good character. Because what happens is you know that you're growing up before you grow old because you begin to internalize the right path. You begin to see the right thing to do, and not only are you driven by duty or guilt to pursue it, but you begin to desire it. Colin was talking about that at the very beginning of the service. You are what you love. What you desire is perhaps the most important thing about you. Now, animals in this passage are the Good examples of good character. However, um, now the humans, these are the bad examples. And first is the sluggard. How, how often have you used that word recently? Sluggard. It's a wonderful word. It just sounds good. I don't know. Anyways, the sluggard here is somebody who refuses to work unless somebody else compels them and forces them. Right? So, uh, and I, my guess is that most of us can identify with this. The sluggard uh, sits there in bed. The alarm goes off, whatever it is, and everything inside them says the pleasure of staying in bed is better than the deeper pleasures of getting up and earning a living, right? And that's why you hit snooze. Now, <laughs> now part of the problem here is that a bad character makes you satisfied with immediate pleasure and oblivious with the consequences that come down the road. So, for instance, the, the sluggard, the sluggard in this passage can't see that there's poverty coming. But it's also true later on of this person that's called the wicked person. This is kind of like the dirty trickster. This is the villain in verse 12. Do you see that? 
Verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. Uh Uh-oh. I hope that doesn't mean I can't use gestures. Um, I'm feeling convicted. Um, uh, With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Now, notice the point again. The wicked person here is someone who can't be trusted. But if you look at verse 14, the bad character, the root of it, starts in the heart. Just like good character is an internalized preference for the the good path over against the bad path, bad character is an internalized preference for the other path. Both grow out of our heart and grow out of what it is that we desire. Now, Jesus talks about this. In Luke chapter 6. Do you remember that? Let me read it to you. Jesus says this. A good man brings forth good things out of the good that is stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored up in his heart. And out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Okay. What is character? Character is uh, an internalized preference for a wise path over and against a foolish path. And it's a preference that is rooted in the heart. And that means this. If you really want to know who you are, do you want to know who you are? Look at your heart. What do you prefer? What do you want? What do you really want? Do you want wisdom? Or do you want something else? And you see wisdom is just like useful in getting to that other thing. What is it that you want? Answer that question, and you will answer a great deal about yourself. All right, that's what character is. Secondly, why is it so important? Well, let me uh, point out three reasons from this passage that character is crucially important. Here's the first. Good character, well, actually character, good or bad, has inevitable natural consequences. Um, Ants, consider ants again, ants are one of the most successful uh, species on the earth. And, And at least part of the reason that they're really, really successful is that they're not dumb. Right? I mean, I, their internalized preference for wisdom, if I could say it that way, moves them to do things that contribute to their success. It, it, it supports life. And throughout the book of Proverbs, Proverbs teaches that all things being equal, a good character leads to practically good things. Now, we should need to be careful with that because it's clearly, um, it's not saying that if you have a good character and you make good choices, then your life's going to be great. That clearly is not the case. Read Job. And there's a number of, of places in Proverbs where it says, why, does, why do the wicked flourish? But nonetheless, all those things being true... All things being equal, when we have a good character, it leads to really good natural consequences much of the time. There are practical benefits to not being, you know, stupid. But the opposite is true as well. Because bad character, all things being equal, leads to disaster. And in the long term will always lead to disaster. Um, Look at verse 15. In verse 15, um, this villain, dirty trickster, wicked person, um, has a heart and a character that likes to plot for evil. Do you see that? The tragedy, however, part of the tragedy, is that he can't see the disaster that's awaiting him. 
He's the opposite of the gazelle and the bird. The gazelle and the bird, they see they're in a tight spot and immediately they go, oh dear, I can see where this is going. This story leads in my death. Therefore, I'm going to make different choices in such a manner that I might escape. But the dirty trickster, the wicked person here is plotting evil but cannot see ahead to the consequences that are inevitably about ready to break down their door until it's too late. And if you've been with us over the course of our time in Proverbs, you'll know that this is a theme that comes up again. There's a trap. There's bait. It's alluring us. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in the trap in such a manner that it'll be too late. Bad character blinds us to the future consequences of our choices. I've said before, sin makes you stupid. That's the simple way to say it. Here's the second reason why character is so important. It inevitably shapes your, your relationships. Let me show you. Look at verse 14. Do you see the phrase, sowing discord? Uh, if you look at verse 19, sowing discord shows up again. One of the characteristics of bad character is that it, it stirs up dissension. And one of the most important consequences of both good character and bad character is that both of them shape the way we relate to other people and they determine the ongoing stories of the relationship in our lives. Uh, most of us would agree that um, if there's anything that's really, really, really important in life, it's probably relationships, right? In fact, for a lot of us, if you ask, what is it that you really, really, really desire? It's going to have something to do with relationships, one way or the other. Now... If that's true, then character has to be crucially important. The reason I say that is that character will determine whether our life is a story of relationships growing and being healed and being restored, or whether our, our story, the life of, is a story of relationships deteriorating, breaking down, and ending in conflict. Uh, was it last night? Um, my son Peter said, Daddy, who's my great-great-grandfather? Um, and, uh, and I realized that on at least two sides that I could think of, I don't know. And uh, the reason for that is that on both sides of my family, uh, up until last generation, um, men in my family did not raise their families. They ran out on them. And you know what? The lore of the family tells of wreckage wreckage. That's what happens. Now, the reality, of course, is that we live in a broken world, and sometimes relationships break down in such a manner that we, there's nothing we can do about it. It just happens for a variety of reasons. But one of the hallmarks of bad character is that our preferences drive us to make decisions that are toxic to other people. And, of course, we never think that it is. You know, when you're the perpetrator, you always have a good justification for why you're in the right. Well, if you saw it from my perspective. But what you look at is you just see wreckage over the course of the years. And on the other hand, good character is marked by preferences that, make, that lead us to make decisions that heal, restore, and, and provide safety for intimacy and closeness. Now, uh, character is crucial for our relationships. So that, that's the second reason it's so important. And that leads us to the third reason why character is so important. And, and here it is. The Lord hates bad character. Look at verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. There's that word. That's, I use it because it uses it. Seven that are an abomination to him. 
lying eyes, uh, haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Uh, this is not a one-off verse. You can, you can find this taught right the way through the Bible. Uh, when God looks at a heart that likes to devise evil, God is hostile. Hostile. Uh, it provokes him to anger. And hatred is not an inappropriate word. Now, inevitably, we've got to ask the question, but hang on, what, isn't God a God of love? Um, why, how, can we, how can God hate anything? Well, um, that's it, a very good question, and it's, it's actually a really important question. Um, and here's at least part of the answer. God's commitment to love is precisely the reason that God is so hostile towards bad character. Because when we say that God is love, one of the things that we mean is that God is fundamentally, deeply committed to good relationships. And if you are, uh, God loves good relationships. He loves good relationships between us and him and us and one another. And therefore, his love for good relationships leads him to be hostile towards anything that threatens those relationships, right? I mean, uh, anger, certain types of anger, is simply what love feels like when the object of our love is under threat. Isn't that true? If you never get angry when the person you love is under threat, then you don't love them. Well, similarly, God's anger against bad character is simply his love expressed towards something that threatens the object of his love. And, of course, the thing that we need to understand, though, is that that means that God hates bad character in me. Not just in general, but in me and in you. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus is so crucially important to all of us, because one, this is one of the reasons Jesus came. One of the reasons Jesus came is, order, is, is in order to effect a transfusion of character, a heart transplant. Because the reality is that none of us um, are like the ant. None of us are born with an internal preference for the good. All of our desires, according to the scripture, and if you look deeply in your own heart, or if you ask somebody else that knows you well to look deeply into your own heart, then you'll find that all of us have preference for wickedness at some level. It's why we can all identify with the sluggard. It's why if we knew each ourselves very well, we'd all identify with the dirty trickster. And it's why we all need a character transfusion and a heart transplant. And that's what Jesus affects, because when Jesus was on the cross, he was voluntarily taking upon himself God's uh, hostility against our bad character. And he died under the weight of that, and he exhausted the penalty of it. And when he rose again, one of the things that he rose again with the authority to do is to um, impart his character to us. That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' resurrection was in part to infuse and transfuse Jesus' character, the things that Jesus loves, his preference, right into our hearts. Uh, that's, uh, Paul, the apostle, talks about this in Galatians. He says this, just listen. So I say, if you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
For the sinful na nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what's contrary, contrary to the sinful nature. But the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Do you see? It's not so much that you need the exterior law uh, pressurizing you to do the right thing. The Spirit is giving you desire to do the right thing that conforms with the law. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's what it means to grow up before we grow old. All right. Uh, what is character? It's a deep internalized uh, preference for good. Uh, why is it important? There are natural consequences. It uh, builds or deteriorates our relationships, and um, it's really, really important to God. Last question, how do you develop a good one? And uh, I want to I end with uh, three, three things, three insights that, that help us uh, be more like an ant. Okay? Here's the first one. Pay attention to your character. Uh, one of the stupidest things that we can do is assume that we have a good character. Now, I say that as bluntly as I can because a lot of us do assume that we have a good character. A lot of us, uh, our basic assumption is, oh, deep down I'm pretty good, but I mean I make mistakes, but I'm pretty good. Um, and usually we can, uh, we can uh, validate that by uh, grading ourselves against somebody that is behind us on the curve. You know, if I can find somebody else that's a little bit worse than me, then I can feel good about myself. Please, we must do better. We need to learn to watch ourselves. We need to learn uh, to ask ourselves questions like, for instance, how do I respond when I find myself in trouble? Uh, that's what verses 1 to 5 are about. Uh, in this particular case, this person has gotten themselves into uh, bad financial trouble. Now, the point here is that if you find yourself in trouble, don't hide it. Don't hide from it. Instead, Run out, humble yourself, and beg for mercy, says Proverbs. Now, think about yourself. When you realize you're in a, in a tight spot, how do you respond? Do you tend to hide it? Justify it? Hide from it? Just don't make eye contact? What do you do? Or when you sin secretly, what do you do? What do you do with it? Do you confess it to God right away and seeking that uh, renewal that comes from being utterly and completely pardoned through the cross and the triumph of the Spirit over um, that sin? Or uh, do you just, again, try to justify it or cover it up or say, God, I resolve to do better the next time? How do you respond when you're in trouble? That'll give you an insight into what it is you really desire. Do you really desire to be independent, to be, to be able to, uh, to rely just on yourself? Or do you want to be utterly dependent upon God and be transformed through his grace and mercy? What, it is, that, what is it that you want most? And you can measure that in part by how, how do you respond when you're in trouble. Another one is how do you re relate to work? Colin mentioned this earlier. Do I overwork? That'll give you an insight into your character, into what it is that you really desire. Do you underwork? That'll give you an insight to your character, what it is that you really desire. Pay attention to your character. And of course I could ask, how do your relationships go? What's your relationship history like? Is it a story of healing or deterioration? Second thing. First, pay attention to your character. Secondly, ask Jesus for a character transfusion. Friends, Christianity is not just about white-knuckling it. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to 
grit my teeth until they start breaking and then it'll be good. That's not the point. If we are going to get the character we need, it will only come by receiving it as a gift. We need Jesus to give us his Holy Spirit. And the good news is that Jesus promised that of all the prayers that we might ask, that's the one he loves to answer the most. Now, in a heart transplant, which I know nothing about, but I, I think you, you take out the old one and you put in a new one. I, I think that's... Does that sound, anyways, the same is true with Jesus. We ask Jesus to take our bad character. Uh, what I mean by that is we confess not only the naughty things we've done, but the deep heart preference that drove us to do it. And then we ask him to apply the pardon of the cross, and we see that he treats us as we do not deserve, not as we deserve, but as we do not deserve. Our heart begins to melt as we trust in his record and his goodness and not our record and our goodness. And then in that very same moment, Jesus fills us with the Holy Spirit. And we say, Jesus, take my bad character and give me your good one. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and transform me from the inside out. And that's a prayer that Jesus loves to answer, to ask him for a heart transplant. But then finally, um, practice. Practice having a good character. Um, there's something about cultivating a taste for goodness through practice that is wise. Uh, I used to not like coffee. Now I like coffee. Um, the reason is I drank a bunch of it when I was trying to uh, ask Amber out on a date because um, she liked coffee, and so it was part of my scheme. And it ended up after a while uh, that I, I ended up liking coffee. This is a terrible example, but um, there's, 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 there's something about, uh, oh dear, um, looking at Christ, asking for his preference, and then trusting him that he's going to do the deep work that really needs to be done, then making the choices he asks you to make, and then seeing the positive consequences that come from that, maybe the ones that you couldn't have anticipated. You're like, wow, there actually is more freedom in walking closely with Jesus. And that's part of the way the Lord teaches us and trains us and gives us a taste for wisdom, for, for the good, for Christ above all, that we cannot generate ourselves. And in process, we'll grow up before we grow old and we'll find that we're rather more like an ant than we thought we were, or that we were in the beginning. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.